Scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 2, 5. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Good morning, everybody. Usually when preachers start, they like to have a sort of catchy start to catch your attention and so on. Well, my catchy start is last week's passage and Colin's sermon. It was a, that is the core, of, in my opinion, of uh, the whole message of 1 Corinthians. And uh, personally, I found that Colin uh, preached that powerfully. And uh, if you didn't get to hear it, I said you go online and listen to it. Uh, if you did get to hear it, I suggest you go online and listen to it again. But anyway, we go on. And I've titled this section, Nothing But Christ Crucified. Two, three uh, sections of the text, 26 to 29. No one may boast before him. 30 and 31. It is because of him. And Chapter 2, 1 to 5, nothing but Christ crucified. So no one may boast before him. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards, not many influential, not many of noble birth. Hands up those who are wise by human standards, influential, of noble birth. Oh, I I must be the only one. (laughs) Not. Paul says not many of you were, but some were. For example, Erastus uh, was a member of the congregation and he was the city treasurer of Corinth. But God, says Paul in 27, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise 
He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, I've got to tell you this. The word for fool in Greek is moron. Okay? (laughs) Just remember that. But why would God do that? Why did he want to shame the wise and the strong? This question reminded me of something Jesus said one day. He had a kind of an aha moment in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, says Paul, and even the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So why would he do that? Well, in the pure light of day and exposed to God's spirit of truth, we will see that the whole system of this world with its wisdom, its power, its reputation, and its glory, is a house of cards. You are familiar, I'm sure, with the laws of God, the Ten Commandments. Well, I like to think of the two laws of Adam. first law of Adam is... Do your own thing. Okay? And the second law of Adam is, if you can't be good, the next best thing is to look good. So, the system of this world is false. It's full of pretense and deception. And God has chosen the lowly and despised things of this world, even the things that are not, to nullify and bring down this house of cards. One of the commentators, F.F. Bruce, says of this verse, nothing could be more subversive of the values in the Greco-Roman world of the day as the proclamation of a crucified man exalted as Lord over the universe. You would have to agree, I think, that that is subversive to the system of the day. In the face of all human pride, pretense and depravity, God exercised his unlimited wisdom and shocking mercy in a tower-toppling way that, as Paul says, was beyond our seeing, hearing, or even imagining. And he did this, Paul says, verse 29, so that no one can boast before him. I have a cartoon for you today that I cut out of the uh, advertiser. 
And it concerns a couple of name identities in South Australia who are footballers. Recently, the great, and I mean that, the great Jeff Motley passed away. And a month or a year earlier than him, Russell Ebert did. So I don't know these men's relationship to God. I respect them. I think they were both great human beings. However, what I want you to notice is the way the cartoonist uh, uses the occasion of these guys uh, passing into the world beyond this to express a popular view. And that is that we come into the kingdom of heaven on the basis of our achievements. We can rock up spruiking our achievements. So, Jeff gets there, and there's the pearly gates. Notice uh, St. Peter has been kind of relegated to the side, and uh, Russell's in in between the the goals, I mean the gates, and he says, uh, uh, Jeff says, ready for me, Russell? And uh, Ebert says, through the big sticks, Jeff. And Jeff says, yes, of course. Valet, Jeff Motley. Now, the significance of this for us is that we can come into uh, into heaven on the basis of our achievements. We can rock up, spruiking what we have done and been. In the wisdom of Christ crucified, however, Paul says that every mouth spouting its achievements and justifying itself is silenced. Habakkuk says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the world be silent. And in Romans 3, uh, explaining the gospel, Paul says, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that... Uh, We are under that law in the sense that it tells us we're sinners so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world accountable to God. So friends, we may not see ourselves as... uh, I lost my place. Wise, influential or of noble birth... But we can subtly carry some brownie points around with us in our backpack. But Paul continues, it is because of him. That is, it is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. Our righteousness, holiness, And redemption. It is because of him. Because of what God has done. In Christ's life, death and resurrection. Paul tells the Ephesians. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared beforehand for us to do. It is because of him. These words can be extracted and framed. It's because of God. It's all because of God. He is our everything because uh, because of him you are in Christ Jesus. I pause to reflect that for this reason, the genuine psychology of being in Christ produces a very likable, authentic, and commendable type of human being. A human being with deep humility. Abundant gratitude. Overflowing joy. And a great love for God and our neighbor. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Tell me, friends, where do you get wisdom these days? Well, from Google, of course. Well, here is a wisdom that isn't from Google. It is not from this world, nor from man, nor even from the university, and not from the scientists. It's a wisdom from God. And that wisdom is Christ. He has become wisdom for us. And that wisdom concerns our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Paul, speaking personally to the Philippians, says that he counts all his self-righteousness as skubala. I love that Greek word, skubala. Uh, Which means scraps or refuse, rubbish. And literally, skubala means to the dogs. So there you go. You've got your self-righteousness. You go to the back door and you say, Here, Fido! And you chuck it out as rubbish. And he does this, he says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And again, he is the wisdom of our holiness. Because he lives in us as believers, and in him we are a new creation. When anyone is in Christ, uh, 
There is a new creation that has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And so Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is your holiness. Christ in you. The hope of glory. And he is our redemption. Paul told the Romans, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for they all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Simple. Therefore, he says in verse 31, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There's a beautiful scripture in Jeremiah 9, which you go up now. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast in their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now, the kindness, justice, and righteousness that God exercises in the earth is that which he exercised uh, when he gave his beloved son to live as we are, to die for our sins and to be raised in resurrection glory for us. That is God practicing or exercising his kindness justice and righteousness so that we can see what Jesus meant when he said whoever has seen me has seen the father that is seen the father practicing his kindness justice and righteousness you've seen the father exercising his character. And when we have truly seen Jesus, our boast will not be in ourselves, but in Christ. And so we come to the third section, nothing but Christ crucified. <clears throat> Paul now comes 
to a personal reflection of the time when he first brought the gospel to Corinthians. He says, so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. These days, when you're selling your house, there are companies that can bring in for you furniture and accessories to make your house more attractive and saleable, to dress it up. Now, because the gospel of Christ crucified is contrary to human wisdom and values, we can be tempted to dress it up in clothes that are attractive to this world. After all, that's what our advertising agents do. <laughs> Paul was a very learned scholar and a good orator. But he was very careful in preaching the testimony about God, that's the message about Jesus, not to be persuasive through clever oratory or philosophical argument and intellectual expertise. In fact, he says in verse 2, I resolved while I was with you to know nothing, I know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now this is interesting because Paul, at this point, has a stack of important issues that he has to speak to the Corinthian folk about pastorally. Serious stuff. About the way they're living their Christian lives. But he resolves, as before, that while he is with them, or writing to them, or even thinking about them, he will know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. In fact, when he starts his first Corinthian letter, in the first chapter, he mentions the Lord Jesus Christ no less than 18 times. That is ridiculously repetitive, but very effective. A commentator, William MacDonald, says of this verse, this shows that the Apostle Paul recognized the difference between ministry that is soulish and that which is spiritual. By soulish ministry, he says, we mean that which amuses, entertains, or generally appeals to human emotions. Spiritual ministry, on the other hand, represents the presents the truth of God's word in such a way as to glorify Christ and to reach the heart and the conscience of the hearers. Earlier in the letter, Paul had realistically acknowledged that the truth of God may not be what people want to hear. They may want their ears tickled. He said, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, 
A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. We preach Christ crucified. Sounds like a policy statement, doesn't it? Well, I, I think it is. Come and hear the wonderful things God has in store for your life. Well, that's true, but we preach Christ crucified. Come and get your very own miracle. Yes, God can do a miracle in your life. But we preach Christ crucified. Come and learn how to be successful in everything you do. God will help you with everything you do. But we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified because while Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom... We preach Christ crucified, who's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, he is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For in fact, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Paul in verse 3 now, recollects how he felt and was when he first came to preach the gospel to them. He said, I came to you in weakness, great fear and trembling. Weakness, great fear and trembling. Maybe there's hope for us yet. Paul's says in his second letter that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So that's what you and I are as gospelers. We're jars of clay. When we dry out, we crack up. And we get, when we're wet, we get sticky and stuck in the mud. But he says in verse 4, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So Paul, in his preaching, did so as a demonstration, literally, of the Spirit and power. So what sort of power is Paul talking about? This power is a convicting power. A power to break down the stronghold of self-justification and defiance against God. Now that would be a power. In his second letter he says, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, that divine power doesn't convert everybody on the spot. 
But friends, it is the only power that can deal with the human condition. A human being can be wise by human standards, influential at a noble birth, but in their unregenerate state, Paul says they are dead in their trespasses and sins. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. You can be clever, powerful, high-born, and yet your soul may be unregenerate and deserving of wrath. So the number one question for the human race and every individual person in it is, where is the power that can make the spiritually dead alive? Can reconcile the condemned to God and can regenerate the polluted and the corrupted soul. Social welfare, all of education, all the self-help schemes, all the affirmative action and equal opportunity, all this is powerless to regenerate fallen human beings. When it comes to the way, the truth, and the life, human wisdom is impotent and bankrupt. But the message of Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that is why Paul focused entirely on Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that, he says in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, friends, I'll be going a little while, but would you bear me a few minutes to make a personal uh, illustration of how this works in one's soul? Is that okay? Just... When the gospel began to work in me, I wasn't the best of kids or the best of young people. The biggest things to take a hit was my self-justifying and self-glorifying ego. The ambitions I had as a young person all had the underlying purpose of justifying and proving myself, obtaining the glory and demonstrating my ego superiority among my fellow human beings. These youthful aspirations that I had were not wrong in themselves, but what made them wrong was that my motivation was for me to be the best, for me to be at the center and to have the glory. By absolute contrast, 
Paul announced that the kingdom of God was established on the amazing and undeserved grace of Jesus. Death on the cross for my sins and his resurrection from the dead for my justification. I began to understand that this canny, wise action of God in his grace saved me from eternal condemnation while at the same time utterly and permanently demolishing my ego tower and destroying my unreasonable pride. Friends, God crucified me. As effectively and permanently as if he had nailed me to a tree and left me there forever. But he didn't leave me there forever. He raised me from the dead to new life. And he replaced my self-confidence and self-obsession with faith in Jesus Christ, who alone and unaided by me had forgiven me and made me right with God. In becoming a Christian, a Christ one, I had the sense, I can remember this very clearly, of stepping across a chasm that had separated two worlds and two entirely different sets of values. In this strange but wonderful new world, it is said, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. From now on, like our former ego man Saul, now Apostle Paul, I would confess Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So different was this kingdom of, to the presumptuous and egotistical kingdom of man that belonging to it felt like being an alien in this world. This world which mocked the crucified king. It was like being born again. And yet, I was given a strong conviction that I was now, in fact, living in the real world. And just as Jesus promised, God has given me another helper to be with me forever, even the spirit of truth which the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. My faith now rested not on human wisdom, but on the power of God and on Jesus Christ and him crucified.